Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezrat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Lamed Maseches Psachim. We will be learning three distinct and very Halacha Lamaisa. A lot of Halacha Lamaisa comes out of these uh, in Yenim. We went from Truma, and we're so happy to see Kalman still here holding on for uh, what is now very, very relevant Halacha. However, we'll, as we will see, there are a lot of... Uh, in terms of what the actual psak is, it's going to be uh, require a lot more in, but we will be learning some building blocks here for some of the basics in your idea. Uh, anybody who ever lost a spoon, a fleshic spoon, in a milchik pot, and et cetera, um, a lot of the source material is here on Daflamid, and we start with the very first word, Amar Rava. Okay, <clears throat> so what, what's the halacha? Rava is going to actually, um, in his statement, have several halachas. So let's see. Hilchasa, the halacha, so right away we see the word halacha here. So we're getting halacha lamaisa today. Hilchasa, chametz bismano. Okay, so you say, if bismano here means on Pesach. So if chametz is mixed with, let's say, stuff that isn't chametz, right? You have chametz, obviously it's also on Pesach. And so the question here is, what about tarovas? Is chametz going to be like other isurim in the sense that it's batel? We know that we have a concept of bitel, bitel b'shishim, famously, that when we were talking about truma, we were talking about bitel b'meo, we were talking about bitel b'mataim uh, with certain things. So, but we know that there's a concept of bitel, that things become nullified when they're in a mixture and they are overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly right, uh, a minority of the mixture. However, chametz is not that case, uh, according to Rava. Bain bemino, bain shelo bemino, aser bemashahu kirav. So the statement of Rava is that on Pesach itself, now this concept of mino and lo bemino, obviously, and this is uh, over the weekend, we've been introduced to these concepts. How this uh, applies to lachal Misa, Again, we're not going. We're we're learning. Our attitude is we're going to learn building blocks. Uh, it could be we could spend. Uh, uh, as is often the case, we could spend weeks on just portions of this stuff. But Bain Bamino Bain Shalom, Rabbi Shalom Razan, the great Dafyomi master, considers this one of the uh, biggest halachal and ma'is adapim in all of Shas. So we're we're very fortunate to be learning it. But we'll hopefully hadran halach, right? We'll go back and look at it more bein. But be that as it may, there is a distinction, right? If something is of its own kind. Or if something is not of its own kind, the idea of mino versus lo mino, it could affect whether it's, as we've learned, whether it could be mevutal or not. But with regards to chametz on Pesach, it is irrelevant, according to Rav, um, right? That uh, according to Rava, which we'll see, who's quoting Rav in this uh, in this halacha. Also, it's also b'masher, which is to say that the shear is irrelevant. It doesn't matter how much. The, there's a bitl, it doesn't matter how much it is overwhelmed by another, ob, by another substance, whether it's mino or not mino, doesn't matter how much of the chametz there is. A minute amount of chametz, no matter what kind of mixture it is in, on Pesach itself is going to passel the entire, the entire thing. And this is not so surprising to us because we know how extremely chamor chametz is and how the Torah went out its, its way in several different ways to explain the chamor of chametz. And that's not the only reason. We also know that it's uh, a davar sheyesh lo matirin, right? We also know that chametz is something that's going to become, um, right? And we see in Masechet Spetsa that anything that's going to become mutter later is in fact uh, it's definitely a factor in terms of whether something does become 
mevutal um, does become nullified in a mixture. So be that as it may, that's the opinion of Rav, and that's Rava's halacha. However, Rava throws us a curveball here. There is a hybrid shita. Why? Because shelob bismano, the Gemara continues to say, if this chametz is mixed, right, with let's say non chametz after Pesach, so bein bimino, bein shelob bimino, mutter karebi shimen. Oh, so at that point, the chametz, obviously, it's still going to need to potentially be nullified, right? Uh, but even if it's bimino uh, shelob bimino, which the art scroll, this is, this is again, what this exactly is going to refer to is, is going to be uh, something that all the poskim are discussing. But here, Art School explains it has to do with no tentam. That even if it, there's enough of the chametz to actually be, have no tentam, to have a flavor, then Rip Shimon, and this is obviously quoting the view of Rip Shimon, which we had pe- uh, mentioned um, until now, right, in yesterday's daf. So he says, even if it imparts tam, that chametz is not going to be usher, okay? Now, Rashi explains over here, the first Rashi in Lama Rabbi Aleph, Amar Rabbi Hilchasah, Shmaminah, the Pasuk, Rabbi Hilchasah, the Chol Isur and Shabbatorah, Beminon, Bemashahu. Wow. Velo Shanilon, Bein Chametz, Lashar Isurei. So, basically, Rashi translates this, according to the Pashas of the Gemara, that perhaps this could apply to other Isurim. This, as according to Shalom Rosner, is one of the Few, maybe even, uh, maybe even less than a handful, two or three times in all of Shas that Rashi actually gives a psak, uh, and nobody holds like this. But be that as it may, the Gemara asks that this is a hybrid shita that it sounds like is a, a, according to Rava, there's a mishmash here of Rav and Shmuel, why, uh, Rav and, and Rabbi Shimon rather, how is he going to, going to reconcile the fact that he holds like Rav on Pesach, and then Bahamas Sha'avar Lava Pesach he holds like Rabbi Shimon. So the Gemara asks, Umi Ama Rava Hachi, can Rava really say, right, the Khamit Sha'avar Lava Pesach is going to be like Rabbi Shimon? Vha Ama Rava, Rabbi Shimon, Knasa Kanis. Hoyal the Avarlav Bibayra Ubayamatse. Right? So in other words, even though it's Mutum Ikardin, right, it should be Asr according to Knas. In other words, Rava, in the statement that we just quoted, La Halacha says that Chamesh Shavar Lava Pesach is mutter, uh, in accordance to, uh, with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. But Rava himself had conceded in a different context that Rabbi Shimon himself gave a knas on Chamesh Shavar Lava Pesach. Uh, the, again, the rationale there was, uh, that since he was over on it, right, then he's going to have what? A knas on him. And so therefore, how could Rava say that Rabbi Shimon says it's mutter when Rabbi Shimon explicitly says that there is a knaster abundant on it? In other words, a knaster abundant still is not the same thing as saying that it's mutter. Mutter sounds like it's mutter legamre. So the Gemara reconciles this as follows. Hani mili be'ene, that the iser der abundant, the knas of Rabbi Shimon was when the chametz was what was actually without a tarovis. That's what be'ene means. You're seeing the chametz in your hand, right? Aval al taroves lo. But when it's in a mixture, Reb Shimon is not going to say that it's aser. Rashi over here al taroves lo vafilu sheye be'ene v'avar lo kanis lemesa taroves delay. This is an additional chiddush of Rashi as follows. So we know 
again, halacha lemaisa, we're not going to paskin, but we know that there's something called chametz shavar of a Pesach. It could be a loaf of bread. And if, if it's chametz shavar of a Pesach, there's going to be a question. Is there a knas on this or not? The chiddush of Rashi is quite a chiddush. In other words, he's saying that the only time that Rav Shimon is giving you the knas is if it's still in the loaf of bread form that it actually had during Pesach itself. But even if you took that loaf of bread and then after Pesach was over, you put it into a mixture, then even there, Rabbi Shimon would say that it's already mutter. The only time that Rabbi Shimon is giving you the knas is if it's still in the pure form. Okay, fine. So that is the rule halacha of Rava. We have now, therefore, this idea of taroves. The taroves is usher on Pesach and mutter after Pesach, according to Rava. And the Gemara points out, Rava Rava is consistent with himself here, because as follows, the Amar Rava, Rava said in a different context, we were studying in Rav Nachman's yeshiva, and after Pesach, right, he would always say with regards to the chametz, puku uzvinu chamiru divnei chela, go and buy the bread of the, what, of the Gayim. In this case, the Bnei Chela are the soldiers. The soldiers, the Bnei Chela, are soldiers and they're non-Jewish. Okay, so he's saying, go and buy the bread of the non-Jews. Right, so now, this is Rabbi Shimon's opinion. This is a reflection of Shimon's opinion. The Chametz She'avar Alava Pesach is only Usr if it was the Chametz of a Jew. Okay, so we see that Rava, who allows Chametz She'avar Alava Pesach, must hold like Rabbi Shimon. Now, by the way, the, the, uh, the, the uh, opposing opinion here, as we learned yesterday, is Rabbi Yehuda, right? He holds that it's usher, whether it's with a Jew or with a guy. But Rabbi Shimon holds, right, that it is mutter. And this is where we conclude sort of this halacha of the different opinions with regards to Chametz Olav HaPesach. And so, like I said, we're, we're talking about building blocks here. And so now you know at least the lexicon, right? The language, the, the considerations here. Is it the chametz of a Jew? Is it the chametz of a goy? Is it a ta'arovis or not, right? Does this apply only to chametz or does it apply to shar, right? Or shari isurim in the Torah? Um, is it min bemino? Is it min shaleino bemino? These are all going to be the considerations. You'll find halacha all over the map. Uh, regarding this, we'll have to ask Rabbi Rose, but at least now we have the building blocks if we know what the considerations are. Okay. Sometimes knowing the Shiloh to ask is, right, knowing when to ask the Shiloh is the most important thing. You have to, and, and that's true of dentistry or any other aspect of life. Sometimes knowing when you have to refer to the specialist or what, when there's an issue is, uh, is really just a, the first step in understanding what you're talking about. Okay. So that's step number one. Okay, halachalamaisa issue number two, kashering kalim. Okay, do they have that here in Baltimore? I don't remember because uh, in Ramat Beit Shemesh used to have giant pots. They have it here also, I'm sure. Agalas kalim, giant pots of scalding hot water. Klirishon al gabeh Okay, now there is a higher level, by the way, of kashering than boiling water, and that is blow torching, direct fire, and that's going to come up here. Okay, so let's see. Amarav, we're talking about. Cheres, clay cheres, which we're usually, right, we're not going to be kashering clay cheres. We're kashering metal. That's going to come up here as well. So Amar Rav, Rav said, Kederos Bepesach Yishavru. Right? If what you have is a clay cheres and it's filled with chametz, now they broke them, which is to say you cannot kasher them. 
right? Obviously, you could probably put them uh, away and sell them, and you know, put them in a storehouse and etc. But the point is, you can't kasher kleicheres for Pesach. Okay, ve'amai. Why is that true? That you that you um, that you have to break these kleicheres. Okay, so we say lashinu achar ha'Pesach. Why don't you just keep the kleicheres? Why are you breaking them? Keep them after Pesach. And again, prepare them with all, with kinds of foods, right, that are not bimino, and that's how you actually, right, bring it back over here to this question of Rav, right? And so Rashi here has a, a total explanation of how you need to have, in order to suggest this in the Gemara, okay, in order to suggest the Gemara that you should keep it, after Pesach, you have to hold like this, as follows. Says Rashi, this is a Kedai Rashi to see. Amar Rav, Kederos B'Pesach Yishabru. Rav Tamed Amar Chametz Aflach Azmana Aser Behana. First of all, you have to hold like Rav, right, that Chametz is going to be Aser Behana even after the Zman. Not like Rabbi Shimon, right? As the Rashi says, Karib Yehuda, right? Okay. So again, this is, Rava had the hybrid Shita, right? On Pesach itself, he held like Rav, as we, as we started the Daf. After Pesach, he held like, Right, like Rabbi Shimon. But here, this is, if you hold like Rav consistently all the way through, and you hold like Rabbi Yehuda, and the other thing you have to hold is that even after Pesach, this is another building block concept, a very important, but as a matter of fact, just yesterday, my daughter-in-law calls me, she cooked the quinoa in a fleshic pot, and the pot had not been used for over 24 hours. Can she, so the quinoa, everything, all the ingredients were parv. Can she eat the quinoa with cheese, right? So these are everyday shilas. And so the question here is, when the pot is more than, it's when it's an eno benyomo, when it's more than a day old, then it's assumed that they will call it like, that the, that the flavor is like a rotted flavor. That's called tam lifgam, right? That flavor is no longer fresh and delicious. If it were on the counter in its uh, pure initial form, you wouldn't eat it either, right? Because over a day old, let's say, and yet there's a machlokas. When it's no tam lifgam, is that mutter asr? So if you hold up no tam lifgam is mutter, that would mean that this fleshic pot, let's say, that my daughter-in-law used, it's not even necessarily considered, so to speak, fleshic, because whatever flesh, as we're going to see, the what if even if you heated it up, the quinoa, very hot, right? So when you, when you cooked it. So we say that the amount of cooking that it takes, the amount of absorption that it's going to absorb the item into the kli, let's say the fleshics into the kli, that's, you're going to use the same action in order to extract that fleshics out of the kli. We'll see the, the exact language in the Gemara. That whatever heat, you're, let's say heat source you're going to use to, right, to infuse the kli with this heat, with this, uh, flesh, that's the same heat source that if applied to the same kli is going to extract it from the flesh. But if that flesh is more than 24 hours old, then it's nice and tam lifgam, right? Then it's like rotted flesh. And that in itself is, as Rashi going to say here, as Rashi is going to say, that in itself is not, we hold it, that is not osir. And so in order to say, that a kli, by definition, in order to say that a kli after Pesach, right, is going to still be usher, you have to hold, like, like Rav, that not only do you have to hold that, that it's usher behana after Pesach, that's chamesh shavar Pesach, but you also have to hold that noisin tam nifgam is usher, 
right? It's a double chiddush. It, you know, it's a double um, iser of Rav. Number one, Pesach is over. Number two, this thing's already rotted, right? It's not fresh anymore. It's no sentan lefkam. This is what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying, Rav is holding like himself that he has this double chiddush. That it's both acharzmano and it's also time of gum. And here, how often do you see Rashi say this? That's why I thought it was Kedai to read inside. Because you'll see this, like I said, twice, three times, not too often in shots, according to Rabbi Rosner. And he's an authority, believe me. It says Rashi, Veleis mitre taime. And the Allah is not like Rav for two reasons. Rashi's paskining here. Or really he's saying that this is the Gemara paskining. Number one is how we started the daf. That Rava holds that the lacha in a tarovis is mutter like Rabbi Shimon. And also we hold that noisin tam lefkam is mutter. And here, by definition, once Pesach already passed, it must be that it already, uh, that it's already a noisin tam lefkam. Gemara there thus answers, however, Gezerah. Right? That this idea that even though, right, in other words, the Gemara is explaining to us why it all, right, should we have to break these earthenware vessels? We could say, no, sometime of gone. We could say it's after Pesach. But no, it's a Gezerah. Because if you start messing around with these earthenware vessels, people are going to come to prepare with them. Right, min bimino. And again, because of the fact that we already mentioned just now, we were only 15, 20 minutes into the year, we already have like five different considerations. It's not easy for the uh, general population, right, to keep track of all these things. So we make some gazeras. They should just know that the earthenware vessels are off limits because they're harder to kosher. And that obviously becomes very relevant here when we're talking about koshering kalim. So, now uh, we're going to say, so that was the first shita. Now we're going to say Shmuel's shita. Shmuel Amar, lo yeshavru. Right? So this was a classic machlokas. Do you have to break earthenware vessels? Rav said you have to break them. Shmuel Amar, no, you can keep them because there's a way of, of koshering them. How so? Says Shmuel, aval mashi lahu l'acharzmano, ve'avid behu bein bemino, bein shalobemino. In other words, it is Shmuel's opinion that you don't have to worry about this Mino shlobimino, because once you wait, and this is consistent with Shmuel Shita, once you wait after Pesach, they're going to be actually mutter, even whether it's min bimino or bain shlobimino. Okay. So the Gemara asks, uh, then observes with regards to Shmuel, that the Shmuel atameh. And this actually is consistent with how we saw Shmuel Paskin in general. How so? The Amr Shmuel Ahanhu de Kande, Shmuel used to go and tell the pot sellers after Pesach, what are we talking about here? A cottage industry. Businessmen have to take advantage of opportunities. What was the opportunity? If you're living in a place where everyone's breaking their earthenware vessels every single, before Pesach, then a good job to be, you could, it's like the guys who sell the Dalad Minim and then they take off the rest of the year. Here, this is the guys, they sell pottery for Pesach and take off the rest of the year because everybody's buying pottery. And, not only is everybody buying pottery, but they're desperate because they broke all their pottery. So you can mark up the pottery, right? Just like the Dalad Medium, because where else are you going to get it? You're not going to go to the fields of wherever, the Chazanish fields. So here, the pottery, they're going to sell it at a high markup because they know that everyone's desperate. Supply and demand. Oh, so Shmuel used to go to these pottery salesmen and say, Ashruzvini Akanaidechi, you better have, what, price control 
on your pots. You better not mark up these pots. And he threatened them as follows. And if you don't keep the prices reasonable, which he was referring to himself, I'm going to teach the whole town over here that the Allah is like me, that you don't even need to break the pots. And then you'll lose your whole industry here. Okay, that was what Rabbi Shimon said. So we see that this was consistent. He was poskating like himself that you don't actually have to break the pot. The Gemara then asks, Rabbi Shimon He said, wait a minute. Shmuel held like Rabbi Shimon for reals, right? He held like the Allah was like Rabbi Shimon. That you don't have to, that, right? Rabbi Shimon, as we mentioned, right? That he allows the Chamesh of Pesach mixtures and therefore he would not require the pots. So what is this? Uh, this is not an empty threat. This is literally what he held la lacha. So why is he threatening them? He should just paskin like that and then nobody would have to buy the new pots altogether. The Gemara answers, Asrei de Rav Hava. No, no, no. This was Rav's territory, his jurisdiction. And therefore, Shmuel was never going to actually, in this locale, right, start saying that the, right, the, the, the Rav's badats is not necessary. That would be disrespectful. This is the place of Rav. But he was going to threaten that he was not going to change the psaac, but he was going to teach everybody that it's not 100% necessary. Such that if the price of the pots gets out of hand, people are not going to have to buy those those pots. Very, very interesting how the halacha al-maisa plays into the economics here, right? Okay. So now, six lines up from the bottom of Naman of an Aleph, we're talking about milchig's and fleshig's bread. We will see this again on Daf Lamed Vav. So I think that'll be Shabbos. So you'll recall today fondly when you learn this on Shabbos. Um, fine. So the uh, discussion with Milchik's and Fleischig's bread is just a discussion, basically, of if people used to eat their bread, right, very commonly, that was the meal, and they used to eat it with a lot of different other things. They used to eat it, we were talking about kutach, the, which was uh, mentioned many times. We had Lamed Zayin and Brochus, and then multiple times since then. We had it uh, over here uh, only a few weeks ago. This famous kutach, which was supposedly a very disgusting dish, uh, as we discussed in Brochus, but, you know, obviously they ate it. So that was milchig, as you might recall, had some milk in it. A lot of times they ate it with fleshiks. And so that's problematic because we're used to parv bread. So there's a reason why we used to parv bread. Because if you have milchigs or fleshiks bread, it was very hard to discern whether it's milchigs or fleshiks. You can't usually tell by looking at the bread. And therefore, you could easily get into a problem of basar b'chalaf, basically, is the issue of milchigs or fleshiks bread. Uh, according to Rabbi Rosner, the issue of Thomas's English muffin is a whole sheer quality in itself. How you could have that milchik bread. But be that as it may, because I think it's real milchik. O-U-D. Okay. So now. Yeah. So, okay. So, ha-hu tanur So there was an oven that was greased, right, with animal fat coating. And that was delicious. Okay. Um, and it was, however, fleshik. Okay. So this is a kind of coating with animal fat that they did on the inside of the oven that made... Now, the question is, is it going to make the, the bread fleshic? That could be a problem. So let's see. Asara Rava Bar Ahilai, Lemichle Lerifta. Rava Bar Ahilai did not allow eating this bread. Afilu B'Milcha. Right? So here's the issue, right? If you're going to eat it with any other thing, then you could get confused. But what about if somebody said, you know, this kind of bread you can eat, but you can only eat it by itself or lightly salted? 
So is that a thing? So he said, no, even with salt, he didn't want to get involved with anybody eating this bread because of why, says the Gemara, maybe you're going to eat it with the famous kutach, right, which we know is milchik. Okay. That was the issue. So again, right, you can get confused and that's why we have these gazeras. So meisve. Let's see. Did we have to hold like Rava, Rava Barachilai? So we say, Ein lashin esa isa bechalav. Okay. We have a brisa that says you can't knead dough with milk, right? You don't have milchik's bread. But if you do, then the entire bread is going to be forbidden. Right? Because even if you eat the bread with nothing on it, you're going to get used to eating that bread. And hergel avera, basically, you're going to start eating it either with milchik's or with vice versa, and that's a problem. And similarly, as we turn to lamed on bays, um, you can't grease, as we just uh, said, right, the oven with the fleshic fatty tail of sheep. Oh, here's where the brisa departs from the halacha. It says here that if you do grease the oven with the fatty tail of a the sheep, then obviously the bread's going to be fleshic, it's going to be usur, and, and then it's going to be usur until when? Well, here the Gemara gives you a recourse. What's the recourse? Until Yosik et Tatanur. Right? You can actually fire up the oven. Kasha the oven, in other words. Fire it up, burn away the fat. So as opposed to before, right, the halacha we said was a very, right, uh, a very dramatic word, right? Asr rava bar that it's asr le'olam. It's always asr. He used the lashon le'olam. Here we're not saying it's always. Never say never. Rather, you can actually get, there is a recourse, which is, you can actually kosher the oven, and then subsequent to koshering the oven, it's no longer considered fleshics, and now you can start baking bread in it again, because you'll have the par of bread. Aha. So says the Gemara, Right? So he says, it sounds like that Rabbi Yehuda, that Rabbi Bar Eli is actually contradicting himself. He's saying that if you fire up the oven, it's mutter. So why is he saying earlier that it's asr la'olam? Says the Gemara, tiyufta derava barilai tiyufta. Wow. This is an actual internal contradiction within Rav Barilai that we can't, we can't seem to, uh, resolve. Now you could say, well, no, he was just saying so, when he said la'olam, he was saying so long at, that that bread is asr la'olam, right? And that bread is always asr. But presumably it was actually, uh, an implication, Olam, right, Rashi said over there, Olam, afilu chazar v'husak. Right, so Rashi already, as we say in Yiddish, bavor in the kasha, right? Rashi anticipated that we were going to make that observation, and Rashi was saying even then that the implication of Rava Bar Eli was that even if you somehow went back and, and kasha the oven, it's always going to be a flesh oven. Okay. So the Gemara asks, "Amalei Ravina Larvasha b'chimei Achar de Isos of Rava Barilai, Amai Kama Rav Kederos bePesach Yishavru." So wait a second. It sounds like we're holding that the second opinion is the halacha, which is to say, and we are used to this, that you could actually kasher the oven, right? We're taking that to be the halacha. Okay. So once we take that to be the halacha, that you can kasher the oven. So the question then becomes, why do you have to break earthenware vessels? Don't forget, the ovens of those days were also made out of earthenware, right? 
So you have your ceramic ovens and you have your ceramic vessels. For the ceramic vessels, right, we know that there was Machlokes, Rav, and Shmuel, and Rav held that Kaderos are actually broken, right? That you can't kasha them, okay? And yet it seems like this second thing here, it was so strong to knock off Rav Barilai. This brisa that says that you can kasha an oven seems to be uh, accepted universally. Oh, so that was Ravina's question to Ravashi. Ravina to Ravashi says, if everyone holds it, you can kasha an oven. So how could Rav, which is ceramic, as we discussed, so how could Rav hold that you have to break a ceramic? If an oven can be kashered, then maybe a kli could also be, a kadera could also be kashered. After all, they're both made out of the same material. What would be the difference? That's the question. To which Ashi answers as follows. Amalei, here it is. Hasam toner shal mateches, hacha bekader shal cheres. Can you believe these basics, building blocks of kashas here? Ravina is explaining to him, this is where we learn all of it. We're used to this, but this is why we're used to it, because we learn in Daf Lamed and Psachim, that the, that the oven is made out of metal. Metal is kasherable, but the kadera is made out of earthenware, and ceramic is not kasherable. Oh, that's one possibility. It could be that the oven, too, is made out of earthenware. However, another basic fundamental idea, that the earthenware is kashered from the outside, okay? The oven, by definition, is being kashered from the inside. When you heat up an oven, I mean, think about it. When you, when you let's say, cook something in a kadera, in a pot, so the heat source is outside of the pot, right? That's where the heat source is. You're not sticking the heat source in the pot. The heat source is outside of the pot. And therefore, that is the method of heating. When you heat something in an oven, where's the heat source? It's in the oven. Uh-huh. So the explanation here. The art scroll actually uh, explains it very, very nicely, which is that the inside is all, is much hotter. When you're heating something on the inside, the heat is, dissip- is dissipating way less, right? Heat in an oven gets contained in an oven, it's much, much hotter, and that would account for the difference between heating a pot from the outside and heating an oven from the inside. Heating a pot from the outside is simply not as hot, and much more heat is dissipating, and therefore it's not koshering. Okay, as opposed to heating an oven from the inside, the heat is being retained. It becomes much, much hotter, and that's why it's actually okay. Even when the ceramic, the Gemara at this stage is saying that from the ceramics, it's going to be okay to kasher the oven, but not sufficient to kasher the pot. Says the Gemara. Okay, so heat up the pot from the inside as well. As you're telling me, you want to kasher the oven. Uh, you want, and you want to kasher the pot the same way that you kasher the oven. So why would Rav force everyone to break their kalim? Let him just tell everyone to what? To heat up the pot from the inside like an oven and then it would work. Says the Gemara, no, that'll never work because chayas aleim yishum Which means that the heat source, when it's heating up a pot from the inside, the pot is simply too fragile to tolerate this kind of heat source and it's going to burst. And because of that concern, Rashi explains, right? That once you get into koshering pots, people are going to be concerned that they're going to break their pots. And once you allow them to kosher from the inside, out of a concern that they're going to break their pots, they're going to start koshering it from the outside 
and then that's why we have to categorically say that, the, according to Rav, that pots can't be koshered when they're ceramic because uh, because it's so much more dangerous to kosher them from the inside as far as breaking the pot, and then people just won't be willing to do it, and it's going to lead to a right an inadvisable practice um, where you're going to ineffectively kosher it from the outside. So we just said pots are usher altogether. Based on this, the Gemara actually has a halacha here. Again, very halacha la Therefore, in the case of um, a tile, uh, what, what the uh, art school calls a tile ring, basically these are things that are smaller and therefore more sturdy and won't burst from the inside heat. Firing from the outside, of course, is asr. But if you fill this tile ring on the inside with coals and you thus caution it from the inside as one does an oven, shop your dummy. That would be satisfactory. That would be okay. And again, the reason that would be okay is presumably these tile rings, whatever they are, are sturdier than pottery, than regular pottery. And therefore, we're not concerned that people will start heating it from the outside. And again, we're conceding that heat from the inside is always going to be stronger and therefore sufficient. So there is ways to kasha ceramics, just not in the normal way of koshering. And therefore, for kalim and kaderas, it's not enough. But for ovens and these tile rings, the buchya, it is. Okay, so that was topic number two. Now, topic number three, koshering kalim. So, Amalei Ravina Laravashi, Hane Sakini Bifischa, this is 12 lines down on Laminum and Bez, Hane Sakini Bifischa, Hechi Avdinan Lahu. Knives used for chametz. Okay, what do we do? How do we kasha them? Okay, for Pesach. As Rabbi Shalom Rosner points out, this halacha that we're going to discuss is not dafka for knives. It's not, it's not dafka for, pus, for Pesach either. This is kashering fleshiks to milchigs, any kind of kalim. Um, okay, so, and to which Birnbaum joked, love Dafka koshering, but he's just being funny. Birnbaum's hilarious at times. Okay, so he says, Amalei Ravina Larvashi, so honey, Sakina Pischa Echevdin why were you using Sakina Pischa? Um, so, Rav Shalom Rosner quoted, suggested that, well, knives have, do have the extra chumrah with regards to onions and the like, because we say that the pressure of a knife is almost like, it's almost like Bishel. And also, obviously, Pesach is more chamer than a lot, than, than, or at least treated in a lot of ways, a lot more chamer because of, we had the suggestion of even Bamashahu and even Betaroves, right? And even Min, uh, so even, uh, Min Bimino, Ainu Bimino. So Pesach and knives are going to be the most chamer. So if you know how to kasher this, you know how to kasher anything. That's the bottom line. But this really applies to everything. Anyway, the question is, how do you kasher Kalem? So Armale, Ravashi answered him, well, we don't get into that issue. We just make new new knives. Oh, okay. So Amalei, Servina says, Okay, that works for you because you can afford it, right? Like who else can, who can afford, who can treat knives like disposable and just buy new ones every year? What about people, the normal people like us who can't get new silverware every single year? So Amalei Ravashi said, okay, here, okay, fine. Here's what I'll do. Ana ke'en chadasa kamina. I didn't mean that I have Pesach knives. What I mean is that I make them so kosher that they are like new. When I said chadasa ka'avdinan, I didn't mean that I buy new ones. 
Because why would I say that? That would just be showing off, right? That wouldn't have any halachic implications at all. No, of course that's not what I meant. I meant I make, I cash them so they're like brand new. Okay. How so? Kataihu bitina ufarzalayu benura. First, I wrap the handle in clay, and then I do what? Farzalayu benura. I take the farzalayu, the blade part portion, and I do what? I don't stick it in boiling pot of water. I stick it straight into fire. I really, really kasher up that sucker. Now, once I've kashered up the blade portion, then I remove the clay from the handle. Now the blade, mind you, is kosher. Okay? And then I immerse that part where the blade had been in boiling water. Okay, wait a minute. So the blade needs fire. The handle just needs boiling water, as discussed. Those are two different levels. The fire is more potent. So how does this work? So the Gemara says, that really Right, that really boiling water be suffice both for the handle portion and for the blade. As long as it's a kli rishon, again over here, the concept of, right, Hagala versus a blowtorch. So we do Hagala, right? In, in Klirishon, it's boiling and it's on top of the Aish. The idea of Klirishon, obviously in this Gemara, sparks a discussion because typically with Ilchas Shabbos, Klirishon uh, is not necessarily something that's al Gabe Aish. There's a distinction, right? Klirishon is still called the Klirishon even once it's off the fire. It's still the initial Kli that the, that the fire, that the water was boiling in. So it would still be called Kli Rishon, and therefore that sparks a discussion in the Rishonim and in the postgame as to whether this Kli Rishon for Hagala still needs to be on the fire or not. But we, we, we keep it on the fire. Uh, you can read um, reams and reams of, of Halacha on this alone. Okay. But, but what we see, um, what we're knowing, what we see um, on the streets, on Arve Psachim, is this giant smoldering cauldron of boiling water on the fire, which certainly one would imagine is more potent than the clearation off the fire, for sure. And of course, a blowtorch is more than that. Why did, um, why did Ravashi, right, uh, use this, um, this blowtorch? So that's another issue. The, and so really maybe he, the, we said the Allah, he didn't have to, but he was being extra, extra uh, careful and it made it good as new. Okay. Okay, so going on, Amr Puna Bereda of Shua, eight parer, in the case of what? Wood. So that's already how that translates to halacha. What do you do by kashering wood? Eights is clearly wood, right? So magilo beroschin. So he says over here, you can actually do hagalas eights. Now you can do hagala on wooden. Uvechli rishon, kesavar, kivolo, kach, polto. So halacha lamaisa with regards to wood, I wouldn't take it out of here. However, this fundamental concept of kashering is exactly what we were referring to before. Kivolo kach polto. An amazing concept. Just like it was absorbed, so too that's how you take the absorption out. So that's a key line to, to underline and remember that that is a fundamental yesod, a basic idea that's used in the kashering of these things that whatever amount of heat transferred it in, that's the amount of heat that could take it out. Okay. So they asked Meymar, what about China? Glazed earthenware. Wow. 
Honey, mane de konya. What are the mane de konya? The glaze, the china, the glaze, uh, kalim. They use them for chametz on pace, um, during the year. So therefore, ma'alish to mushabu Can you use your china, your regular Shabbos, weekday, your Shabbos or weekday china from during the year? Can you use them on Pesach? So it says, wait, so the Gemara says, Yeruka loti bailach. So first of all, there's, there's china and there's china. The green china, the Yeruka, those are actually very porous. They, the green glaze even makes it more porous than regular. So that's for sure not, not going to be good. So as the Gemara says, the Vaday Asiri, those are certainly Asir. They're talking about the black and white ones, the Hancock collection of bone china. That, those black and white ones are actually glazed, and that glaze is pretty smooth. And the question is, even within the black and white ones, if they have like little cracks and crevices where chametz could stay and, and colonnade over there, loti bayalach, that certainly is also not going to be good. Devada yasiri, says the gemar, kiti bayalach, the shi'e mai. Shi'e here is when they're smooth. So we're talking about a glaze that's smooth, therefore there's no absorption. And that really is the, right, the crux of the issue here. When there's no absorption in this, in these vessels, um, it's going to be smooth. And once it's smooth and there's no absorption, uh, what is going to be the kashring procedure? So Maremar answered the question as follows. Amar lei chazin elhu demidaisi. So he says, I have seen that even these glazed, uh, these glazed kalim, they what? I've seen midaisi, droplets of liquid, right, um, seem to appear on the exterior. It looks like they're schwitzing, right? It looks like they're sweating, right? In other words, I have empirically noticed that moisture sometimes is placed on the inside and then we see it on the outside, so we call that condensation, right? But he took that to mean, or, or maybe he, what he's referring to, Meremar, is some other physical thing that he saw, but be that as it may, whatever physical thing he saw made him, uh, made him think that there's an absorptive process going on even within the glazed earthenware, as follows. Says the Gemara, Ama Balevasire. So based on my observation, it seems that there's some sort of absorption is going on. And again, so long as this is being absorbed, so it's actually taking on the chametz. And so long as it's got chametz in there, obviously I'm not going to let you, just like where there's crevices or where it's porous, the reason why we don't allow you to use these kelaman Pesach is because there's chametz in there. So similarly here, the fact that I've seen some sort of transfer, things going in and out, presumably even of the glazed uh, kalim, makes me think there's chametz in there and I'm not going to allow it. Okay? And, says the Gemara, that Torah, or really Miremar, that Torah ha'ida al-klicheres she'ena yotzimidei dofyo le'olam. And so the Torah itself has given us, right, this testimony that, that a klicheres never actually is fixable. Okay? Fine, this actually itself is, right, where is the Torah allowing this? So we know that with regards to the copper pots and all the metals, it, right, we know, like, we, we know in the, all the psukim that the Torah, in fact, does say that we shatter cheres, right, with regards to the concept of Toma and, other, and, and the like, that we shatter cheres, but we can actually fix metal. And so this is what we are used to, halacha lemaisa, and so this is the extra point of data that Marima is pointing out. Now, when asking Marima, they ask the following: Right? What's the difference with regards to Yai Nesach? 
So to that, Marima said that if you have a glazed earthenware of, right, of a guy that has yai nesach in it, bein ukama, bein chivare, uvein yuroke, and for that, he doesn't care whether it's the black and white ones or the green ones, which we said were more porous, share. For yai nesach, he allows it. Wow. So v'chi teima yai nesach derabonin, chametz deraisa, kol detikun rabonin, kein deraisa tikun. You can't say, so again, Marima asert chametz, but he allowed yai nesach. In other words, you can kasher, Kalim uh, that had Yai Nesach in it, or you may not even need to kosher them, just wash them out, and you can use them. But Chametz, you can't, right, in these earthenware vessels. So the question is, what would be the difference between Kalim that have the wine and Kalim that have the Chametz? So the first thing is, well, maybe you can't make a distinction for, because of this incredibly fundamental idea. They call the Tikkun Rabbanon Kain Daraisa Tikkun. You can underline that. The Herschel Shechter Shlita has reams and reams and reams of shurim on this idea that really Chazal are never going to make a takana, right, that is not going to match up with, with what the, what, what the Torah says. So here, you're going to have to be consistent. Whatever you're going to say for Yain Nesach, you're going to have to say for Chametz, right? So in other words, they would never make, they would never say that one is Asr Durabanan and then allow it to be kasher. You understand? In other words, if they're going to make a gezera anyai nesach midera banan on using those kalim, then they could make the gezera patterned after the way it's by chametz. And so, if it's aser by chametz, then and then the way it's aser by chametz, it's also going to be aser by yai nesach, even if it is derabanan, right? Because it's going to be patterned after the daraisa of the chametz. To which Meremer answers, no, 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 no. The distinction is not one of derabanan versus daraisa. Rather, meikar adin. There's a distinction. How so? Fundamental. That chametz is used with hot, and by definition, yain is used with cold. Hot transfers the chametz, heat transfers, and cold does not. Wow. Very, very fundamental. At every line, we have these fundamental lachal and and stuff. To which Amar Rav Bar Abba Amar Chia Bar Asher Mishmol Kol Akelim Shenishtam Shemayim Chametz B'Tzonein Mishdamish Behem Matzah. So to that point, this idea, if you had some sort of kli that you only use chametz in cold, you could actually then afterwards use it for any non chametz or perhaps even matzah and base a chutz min base seor. However, the exception would be if you have your sourdough right uh, contraption. Why? Hol Shuchi Mutzah Kashay. Chimutzo kashe means that the sourdough is very, very intense, chametz. That is so intense that as the Ran says, that gets absorbed. And so since, in other words, the point is, heat, we said, gets absorbed. Cold does not get absorbed. So things that were heated up, it's also to use. Things that were cold, it's mutzah to use. So we say the sourdough is so potent that even in cold form, it's absorbed. So where you make the charoset, Charoset is very sharp, right? You say the mar, the charoset, something which is very, very potent, is going to be similar to the saor in the sense that it's going to be also even when cold. In Amarava, honey, agane de mechosa, that they used to have these troughs where they used to knead bread in mechosa, and they were used constantly for sourdough, and therefore mashabu chamira. People kept sourdough in them for long periods of time, and therefore Therefore, those could not be used, even though it was cold, those could not be used for anything on Pesach, because they had 
uh, obviously a lot of chametz in them, to which the Gemara says, Pshita, it's obvious, right? Obviously, if it's a sourdough holder, it would be uh, logically like chametz. So the Gemara answers, no, you might have thought that since these troughs had some open air circulation, that that would somehow mitigate and diminish the potency of the chametz, as the Gemara says, the air would circulate and then it would uh, mitigate, like I said, the potency, Kamash Malanda, no, that even though it's an open air situation, it's still strong enough that we're going to treat it like Chameitz. And so we've arrived at the Mishnah on the bottom of Lamed and Bays, and we'll start with a new Indian tomorrow. After you.